Behind the mild-mannered alter ego of our everyday lives is a superhero waiting to break free. Release from the chains of our doubts and fears and the stress and worries of everyday life. We were intended to live powerful lives of confidence, love, and clear purpose. The kind of life that can only come from the God of the universe who created us all. Perfectly balanced in our responsibilities and priorities. Lives that seek God first and follow his command. Righting wrongs and pardoning the ones responsible for the brokenness in our past. And sharing the restoration and freedom in Christ we've been given to a dying world. The time has come to become who we were meant to be and experience the kind of life change that can only come from Power Living. Hey everybody, you doing well? Had a good week? I want to welcome our Missouri City campus joining us in this service. We are one church in two locations and God is so blessing. God is so blessing Missouri City. There is a new parking lot, it's about to open up, and boy, is that going to make life different at Missouri City, and we need that parking lot. I want to welcome our, our spiritual family at Missouri City to join us. We are uh, in a series entitled Power Living. We're going through four key principles of how we can infuse more power into our lives, more of the power of God. Now, there's a lot more than just four principles that God uses in our life to develop power within us, but we've only got time for four, and so we're looking at four key areas. And last week, we started with the idea of living a balanced life. Balanced living is what brings a great sense of power to our life. And we looked, as we saw what the Bible teaches about that, that the first thing that has to happen is that we've got to come to understand why we're here. We've got to understand the purpose for our life, and God lays that out for us, and we looked at that together. And then we've got to build priorities in our life that help us to accomplish the great purposes of God for us. And there's four key questions we've got to ask and answer, and we worked through those together. So if you weren't here, I hope that you'll go back and listen to the message, because I think there's some things that God has to say to us about the subject. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of obeying God. Have you ever thought about that? That actually, when you obey God, you are actually infusing your life with more power. Maybe that has not crossed your mind, but the truth is, that is exactly what is happening. And I want to talk to you about that truth today. The power of obeying God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some things that God says to us sometimes that makes no sense to us at all. Haven't you encountered things in your life in which it makes no sense? Let me give you some illustrations of that. Things in, in our world that makes no sense. And this one was actually on a restaurant coupon. Take a look at this. Buy one hot dog for the price of two and receive the second hot dog absolutely free. <laughs> Really? Wow. <laughs> and the next one was actually an ad in the newspaper, so look at this one. For sale, deep fryer big enough for two people. Wow, that's really deep if you think about it. Very, very deep. And then this one was a sign 
that was right there in the front of dry cleaners and look at this. We do not tear your laundry with machinery. We do it by hand. Now, I think all of us know they were not actually meaning what it came across. But there are some things that we do encounter in our life that make no sense. And many of those things, it seems like, are from God. God, I do not understand this. How many times have you said this? God, I do not understand what's going on. God, why have you not? How many times have we said that? Have we thought that? Now, the truth is we all know that, that God is God and we are not God. And we do not, we do not have the thoughts of God. His thoughts are much higher. His ways are much greater. We get all of that. But God, isn't there something that you could do to show us what you're thinking? Help us to understand what's going on. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse, verses 6 and 11, he actually says to us, God has given to us all the stories of the Old Testament, and it includes the New Testament too, all these stories to show us how God has responded to real people in real situations and that if we would stop and watch the principles that God is laying out in all of these stories, we would better understand what God is doing in our life too. They have been given to us, these stories, to help us better understand God and to keep us from making the very same mistakes. So, this morning I want us to look at one of those stories, one of the stories from the Old Testament in which God really demonstrates to us some particular things about this whole idea of the power of obeying God. The story is of a guy, a man named Naaman, a man named Naaman. And look at what it says, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. Aram. That sounds like somebody from the south saying it, doesn't it? Aram. And he was a great man in the sight of his own master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a vigilant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had leprosy. The story of Naaman in the Old Testament actually helps us to better understand the work of God in our life, what God is doing. So I want us to take a look at this, this particular story. Naaman was a five-star general. He was in charge of all the armies of this emerging empire of Assyria. I want you to look at, at uh, this map for just a moment up on the screen. And at the very top right in green is the kingdom of Aram. It is actually the Assyrian Empire. It's the beginning of the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrian Empire is going to greatly expand before it's over to one of the great empires of the world. But right now, at this moment in which this story is happening, it is right there in the green. And that, at Damascus, is exactly where Naaman is. Naaman is going to go in the story down to the next kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and there he's going to meet a prophet of God, Elisha. So this is sort of the geography 
that's going on. Naaman was a very popular guy. He was the right hand of the king. He was a very skilled man of war. He had been extremely successful. Everybody in the kingdom knew of him, and every one of them admired this man. This man had been an amazing leader. But the Bible says something about him in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5 that honestly when I read it took me by surprise. So look at it. It, it says, through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Assyria. When I read that, I, I stopped. I, Naaman didn't even believe in God. He didn't even know anything about God. Jehovah God. And Assyria was an evil country an evil nation. So what is this saying that God actually used Naaman to give victory to an evil empire? I'm not understanding that. And the truth is, why is it that God does these sort of things? I don't know the answer. What I do know is this, is that God is sovereign over all of his creation. That God has a plan and a purpose over all of his creation. And that God is able to use even ungodly people. He is able to use even ungodly nations to accomplish what is his ultimate goal in mankind and in his will for the earth. And that is exactly what he is doing. It is the sovereignty of God for his purposes that is happening. But within the sovereignty of God, understand that that does not take away our freedom. You and I have free choice. We are not robots. We are not pre-programmed and just working out the program. The sovereignty of God does not mean that he moves us around like chess pieces. But the sovereignty of God does mean that within the structure of you and I being able to have freedom of choice, God is not limited by any of our choices and God does what he pleases. God has a plan and a purpose and he is working that plan and purpose out even to this day. So here is this man. He is, his name is, is uh, Naaman and he is such an amazing guy. It is incredible what he's accomplished. Humanly speaking, he's accomplished more than he could have ever dreamt to accomplish. And at the height of his career, all of a sudden he discovers he has leprosy. We don't know much about leprosy in our day, and I'm grateful, but for 4,000 years, it was the most feared disease of mankind. I want you to think of the worst terminal cancer that a person could ever have. I want you to think of the most deadly, the most hurtful the most difficult terminal cancer, painful that anyone could ever go through. And that, is, that doesn't even get close to what leprosy is about. Leprosy would begin with a shiny patch, white patch, maybe on your hand or on your arm, and it would begin to spread all over your body. It would actually kill your toes, and your toes would fall off. It would kill your fingers, and your fingers would just fall off your body. And every part of the body begins to rot. There is, there, there is the killing of all the nerves 
maybe in your arm. And a person that had leprosy and had graduated to that point could actually put their hand in a fire and not feel a thing. Because all the nerves in that part of the body were all gone. But in the process of destroying all the nerves, it was amazingly painful, little by little by little, and there was no cure. There was certain death. And all of a sudden, Naaman discovers he has leprosy. And when that discovery was made, you can imagine what happened to his family, what happened to all of his friends and all those in the kingdom that knew about it and that loved him. There was great grief. There was so much pain of what they knew was coming. But his wife had a servant girl, and this girl was from Israel. And this girl went to Naaman's wife, and she said to Naaman's wife, I know of a man. I know of a man that has the power of God on him that has so much power you can't even imagine that it's done far more than this. His name is Elisha, and if Naaman could only get to Elisha. So, when Naaman heard, he went to the king, got permission, and the king said, you can go. And Naaman takes all of his entourage, and he arrives there at the doorstep of Elisha. And notice what happens when he arrives. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. And Elisha sent a messenger. He knows that Naaman's there. He sends a messenger to say to Naaman, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and do all this special stuff to cure me from my leprosy. And are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, far better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off into a rage. Elisha was everything this girl told Naaman that he was. Sometimes when we're reading the Old Testament, we get this idea that there was just a miracle that happened every day. And go, God, with all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament, why aren't we seeing the same kind of things today? But in reality, in the times of the Old Testament, there were really only two periods of time in which there was just an outbreak of the miraculous. During the time of Moses and during the time of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha was the disciple of Elijah. It was only those two periods of time that this great outbreak of miracles upon miracles upon miracles just were happening, it seemed like, every day. During all the other times in the Old Testament, there were times in which God would intervene in key moments of time, just like he does today. But during the time of Elisha, it seemed like every day, some amazing, some unbelievable miracle would happen. Elisha is everything that this young girl is claiming that he is. But Elisha is unimpressed with Naaman. I know he's a great man. I know that all this stuff is true about Naaman, but Elisha is totally unimpressed with all of his accomplishments. And in fact, Elisha doesn't even come out himself. He sends a messenger and says, do this. 
Naaman thought, hey, come on, you're supposed to acknowledge how great I am. You are supposed to come out and have this big hoopla, this wonderful show. And you want me to do what? Wash in the Jordan? What was wrong with dipping seven times in the Jordan? Because the Jordan River was a tiny little mud hole. It was a muddy, filthy, dirty river. How dare you tell me to go wash seven times in a mud hole? And so he was enraged. Did you know that all that Elisha was doing was telling Naaman what God was speaking to the heart of Elisha to tell him? So what was God actually doing in this moment? God is dealing with Naaman's pride. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God deals with our pride too, doesn't he? How many times does God go after our pride? How many times does God say to you and me, I will bless you, but first got to deal with your pride? You see, God is not just interested in doing something for us. He is more interested about who we are on the inside. And so in the middle of a whole lot of tests and problems and heartaches and difficulties that we're going through, part of what God wants to do in that moment is to change who we are on the inside, to do some surgery of us on the inside. And usually, more often than not, the issue is our own pride. So Naaman said to Elisha, in essence... I will die if I have to bathe in that water. And Elisha, in essence, was saying to Naaman, you will die if you don't. And Naaman was, in essence, saying to Elisha, I would rather die than to bathe in that water. And Elisha was saying, in so many words, Naaman, you will have to die before you bathe in that water. You see, Nathan had a choice. He had a choice that either he die in his pride or he dies to his pride. One of the things that God is doing in our lives, maybe in yours and mine, one of the things that God is doing is he is coming right at the pride of our life. And he is doing surgery on us. Well, Naaman stomped away. But notice what next happens in the story. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. And Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. And as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman swallowed his pride. 
Naaman finally came to the place of swallowing his pride. It's one of the most important things that God is after in your and my heart. To be willing to set ourselves aside and listen to him. Instead of doing what we want, listen to God. Instead of God just doing some great thing in our life, letting God change us on the inside out and in the process, remove the pride that keeps us from him. So Naaman finally, his pride swallowed, he goes to the river Jordan, the mud hole, and he goes down underneath the water and comes back up and he looked just like he looked when he went under except now he had mud all over him. And the second time he went down and now he came up and he's just, he's even more muddier. He goes down the sixth time and comes up, nothing. No change at all. He goes down the seventh time and comes back up and his skin has totally changed to look like the skin of a young boy. And some of you right here are thinking to yourself, oh, where is Jordan? I got to go fast. I got some skin I'd like to have changed. (laughs) This is an amazing story because... If you take a look at what's happening in the story of what God is showing us in the story, the truth is this same thing is happening in your life and mine right now, in many of our lives right now. So listen, there's three principles that he gives us in the story. The first principle is this, God allows a God-sized need to come into our life for the purpose of driving us to him. You got a God-sized need? Can I just tell you, I got four or five right now. Most of them have to do with this church, and it's all good. It's all the great things happening, but man, the pressure of where God is leading us next. God allows you and me to have God-sized needs not to overwhelm us, not to destroy us, but to drive us to him. Not away from him, but to him. The second principle is this. God gives us a promise to meet the need that has attached to it a condition that has to be met by obedience, whether it makes sense to us or not. Man, that is exactly what's happening in this story. And oftentimes, that condition will require us to humble ourselves and depend upon God, not ourselves. So is that where you are? The third principle is this. When we humbly obey God by faith and meet the condition to the promise, God then, God then, After we've met the condition of the promise, God then meets our need in a way and a time that accomplishes the greatest good in our life. Here's what I've discovered. When God has met those needs in my life, he never follows my plan. I have laid it out for him. I've told him exactly how to get it done, and he uses some other way. He uses a different timing. He uses a different method. He never listens to me. 
And you know why? Because he does it in a way that I actually need it to be done, not in a way that I want it to be done. If you and I would stop and look at our lives and we would see all the times in our lives in which God has been at work in us, we would see all three of these principles being played out in our lives. Every one of us would see it. In which God is done this kind of thing and may be doing this kind of thing right now in your life and in my life. In all the troubles and all the hurts and all the heartaches and all the disappointments. And here is the truth. When God intersects into your life and meets your need in a way that you can't meet because you decided to obey him, that's called power living. That is called power living. These three principles will work no matter what it is you're going through. I've seen it happen in my life too. Now what I want to do is I want to apply these three principles to one particular thing that I don't talk about very often. you got to admit that. But I want to talk about it today using these three principles. These three principles work in the area of giving back to God. The Bible teaches us that we're to give back to the Lord of our tithe and our offering. And our offering simply means gifts we give back to God that are beyond our tithe. A tithe is 10% of all that God has blessed us with. And we're to give back that tithe. And then an offering is beyond that tithe. And Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 23 puts it this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Why does God ask for a tithe? Why does God tell me he wants me to tithe? It is not just about the money. The purpose of tithing is to teach you and me to always put God first in our lives. And I'm going to tell you it works because in order to tithe, you have to do that. All of Kathy and my marriage, all of our marriage, we have tithed to God from beginning to end. We have tithed to God. Most, by far most, of those years in our life, we have done beyond. We have given an offering beyond. Not in every year. In some years, we have simply given the tithe. But in most of our years, we have actually given beyond the tithe and offering because we have felt God telling us to do it. There have been times, and probably will be for the rest of our lives, times in which we're tempted to say, God, I'm sorry. I, I, not now, because you have no idea, God. I know you're God, but you have no idea, God, what I'm facing, you have no idea about the financial pressure that I'm facing in this moment. And so, hey, God, not now. I can't, can't give now. There have been times in which I've been tempted, my wife not, but me. God, not now. 
But there has never been a time that we've said yes to the temptation, not one time. And the reason is because he's been too good to us. And we know what his word says, and we know what the truth really is, that God will meet our need. God allows a God-sized need to come into our life for the purpose of driving us to him. Oh, Lord, we don't know how we're going to meet this need. You, you don't realize how hard this moment is financially. I can't give back to you. The second principle is this. God gives us a promise to meet the need that has attached to it a condition that must be met first. God gives to us a promise of what he will do in our life and how he'll help us and bless us. But attached to the promise is a condition that first must be met. And a great example of that is in this passage that is used often when we talk about the subject from Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the command that God gives. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you don't have room enough for it. God says, first, you test me. First, you obey what I tell you to do and watch me bless you back. There's a promise, but first we must meet the condition. And if you think about it, it's exactly what Jesus is saying too in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 when he says, for if you give, it'll be given back to you. For if you give, it'll be given back to you. Your gift will return to you in a full and overflowing measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over. Whatever measure you use to give, large or small, will be measured back to you. Even Jesus said, well, you've got a first. Trust enough to do what I tell you to do, and then I will bless you back. There are times in which how God blesses us back is to bless us back financially. I know it because I've seen it, but it's not always. There are many times that when, what it means for God to bless us back is in some other area of our life that is more important than the money. And yet the blessing is poured out on us. I know this to be a fact because I've seen it. And God says to us, test me. I will meet your need if you will trust me. There's a third principle, and the third principle is this. When we humbly obey God by faith and meet the condition to the promise, God then meets our need in a way and a time that actually accomplishes the greatest good in our life. Maybe not what I have laid out for him, but what he knows I actually need. Kathy and I have seen this happen in our lives financially in so many ways. So let me give you an example. When our oldest son, Matthew, Matthew and, and his family are part of this church, when our oldest son, Matthew, was a junior in high school, I can't even begin to tell you the number of nights I would wake up in a cold sweat 
because I would say to God, I don't know how in the world I'm ever going to afford college. I don't know how in the world I'm ever going to be able to send him to college. To a, I, and um, so I was worried. And I've had people say to me, how in the world could you be worried? You're a pastor. You are never supposed to worry if you're a pastor. Because I have flesh and blood and because I'm a human being with clay feet and the truth is I can outworry a whole lot of people in the world. So one of my weaknesses is, is worry and it's just one of the many. And I would wake up in a cold sweat. God, how in the world am I going to pay for college? We had saved for college. We had saved for college. The best we could save for college. But it wouldn't be enough for two boys it wouldn't necessarily it wouldn't have been enough for one quite honestly so here's what i did i went and bought a book on all of the scholarships known to mankind it's this big i went to the library and i bought or i went to a bookstore and i bought the book it's th- it was this thick and Kathy will attest to this, that every Friday, which is my theoretical day off, it doesn't happen that, uh, as often as it should, but theoretically Friday, my day off, at every single Friday, the junior year of Matthew Hartman's life, for hours I would sit in my study at home and I would go, I went from beginning to end every single scholarship I collected all the stuff. I had copies of so many things you have no idea because now I could just stick it all. Okay, I got it boom, right there in an envelope and I applied to every, every scholarship known to man. Matthew didn't sound like a girl's name, but I, I applied to every, every scholarship I could think of applying to. Sent them all out. I was just doing my best. Can I tell you, he was getting to the end of his senior year. No, no scholarships. No scholarships. And then the most amazing thing began to happen. He began to get scholarships, some of which I had applied for and some I didn't know anything about. And the truth is, it wasn't just the scholarships I applied for. He's a pretty smart guy. And he got academic scholarships. And he got so many scholarships, I, we were blown away. And God answered that need in the most amazing, miraculous way. And we saw God come through. Amen. It's one of a million things that we've seen God do in our lives in which it is said to us, God, we're never not going to obey you because you always come through. Not always in the way we want, not only always in the way we think, but you always come through. Because there is power in obeying God. There is power in obeying God. So listen. What are you facing? What are you going through? What issues are you experiencing? What trauma, what difficulty, what pain, what struggle? I don't understand it. What are you going through? Take the three principles. Use them in your life. And let God come through 
for you. But the greatest way in which God wants to come through for you has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with all this other stuff. The greatest way he wants to come through for you is to come to be your Savior. Jesus Christ came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And he rose again from the grave and he offers to you the gift of eternal life. And he says if by faith you receive Jesus into your heart, he'll save you and forgive you and cleanse you. Would you open up your heart? On both campuses today, would you open up your heart? Would you say yes to him? It makes no sense to me. It doesn't have to. Just obey. Give your heart to Christ and let him change you from the inside out. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we come to you today and we acknowledge, oh God, we need you. And God, we ask that you would move in hearts today. We pray, Father, that you would touch lives today that are going through hurt and heartache and they've come today and say, I do not understand. I don't understand, God, what you're doing. God, help us to be willing to say, God, it doesn't have to make sense to me. The answer is yes, God. Whatever you lead me to do, yes, God. And, oh, God, I pray on both campuses that there would be many who'd come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And many, Father, that know you as Savior, that are visiting our campuses, who today would say this is my church home and would make this place their church home. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.